0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to Ezra chapter 10. You remember who Ezra was, right? He was a priest. He was a teacher of the law. He was a ready scribe. And he came to Judah with what goal? What was his goal? Why did he come to Judah? Does anybody remember? What was the goal? What was the goal? Micaiah? Oh, he says to preach the gospel. He's got a New Testament bent on that, doesn't he? Well, he came to, yes, you might say preach the gospel because all of God's word is filled with the good news of who God is. And so he was coming to teach the people the truth of God's law. And you remember he arrived and he found there was a big problem at the beginning of chapter 9. He pretty much hadn't done much more than deposit the great treasures into the treasury of the temple to beautify the temple when he found out that the people were committing the abominations of the people and the evil people in that region. And they had become so accustomed to the abominations, those things that God hates, that they'd even married those people who were committing these abominations. That's how close they became to these people. Now, this problem was so serious that we looked at, you remember that um, when he heard it, what did Ezra do? He ripped his clothes, and he mourned, and he wept, and he was really troubled by this. And he also prayed. He prayed. If we look at chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Now when Ezra had prayed and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, For the people wept very sore we're going to learn the truth here in ezra chapter 10 that has to do with confession we see it here in chapter 10 verse 1 and if you turn your page and look down at verse 11 we find here that there's a call for the people to confess what is confession confession means that we agree with god about something so what is confession we agree with God about something. Can you say that with me? What is confession? We agree with God about something. You know what one of the biggest things we have a hard time agreeing with God on? Our sin. That's why in a verse many of you have already memorized in 1 John 1, 9. How many of you, one of you any of you want to recite that verse for me, 1 John 1, 9? You know it. Should I give you the first word? If. Now do you know it? Yes. That's right. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And that's the situation very much where they're at here in Ezra. See, the, the people here didn't see the sin quite the way they should have been seeing it. and And that's part of the reason why Ezra was trying to get their, you might say, trying to get their attention, but was really showing them how horrified they should be about these abominations. That's why, you remember, he tore his garments. It it was really to to just express in a really bold way how horrified he was over this sin. And remember, as we looked at last time in the afternoon service in Joel 2.13 of how God wants us to not be ripping our garments, but are we rending our souls, our hearts? To realize how terrible sin really is if we do then we will be ready to confess and here ezra on behalf of all his nation is beginning by confessing even though he wasn't even guilty of these sins he is confessing these things right up front leading everyone in this so there is a problem now we don't have time to go into all of the legal details of this we did that remember two weeks ago Um, in the afternoon service and we looked at the different aspect of the legal aspect of this and the divorce side of it as well as the capital crime side of it because these people were committing adulteries and were committing abominations things that god hates they were worshiping other gods and we found out in the law there was actually a that means they were supposed to be executed killed for this crime but there's still this problem there's all these families that have a mixture of idolatry. All I'll say here, we may say a few comments as we go through, but don't take Ezra chapter 10 and take and presume this is just the, the teaching principle for divorce of all time. A very more relevant and practical specific passage relating to our era and time is over in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 gives a much more explicit teaching Actually, teaching as to how we should apply some of these questions in this day. Again, we covered that two weeks ago in the afternoon service. We won't take a lot of time this morning, but I don't want you to go thinking, oh, here's the precedent case for how we should behave in matters when there is a marriage with a believer and an unbeliever. This isn't the precedent. This is a, pre- this, this is a precedent in Israel, but this is not a precedent case that we're supposed to follow. We get the actual teaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But what are they going to do in this particular case? Well, there's a man who comes and he has an idea and he suggests this idea to Ezra. And we looked at this and he calls upon Ezra to arise in verse 4 For this matter belongeth unto thee. We also will be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. He's acknowledging his legitimacy to lead the people in this. And he's saying, We're right there with you. We're behind you. We support you. We've got you in this. So be strong, have good courage do what needs to be done. So you know what Ezra does? There's already a great multitude of people gathered together. But he issues a decree that all the people gather together in Jerusalem. He has been troubled. He still is troubled. But he does what these advisors give him, and he arises and he issues a decree all the people gather together from Judah. Now, this is probably not from way up in the Galilee region. This is probably just there if you were to look at a map of the region right around Jerusalem, which has been known as Judah or the southern kingdom. That's likely the only region that people are come. And the decree is that they come in three days. So imagine the messengers are flying out the well, first day and the news is coming. you got to get it. Now, what would you do if you get the news you're supposed to be in Jerusalem in three days? Now, you all would be like, I don't even know where Jerusalem is. But just imagine, you get the decree, you're supposed to be in Jerusalem in three days. Oh, and by the way, if you don't, there's some pretty serious penalties. Now, all of you are sitting here thinking that would never happen, whatever. Just play with me for a moment and imagine it happens. Imagine that Jerusalem is 100 miles away, and um, you have to walk. Okay, you might be able to ride a donkey or a or, or a horse but you probably don't have one but you got to be there in three days and if you don't you see here there is an order that was given as to what would happen if you didn't come you you would lose all of your property your your substance would be forfeited and oh my it, it's it's troubling you you'd lose your stuff. You get fined. You get your, your property confiscated. This is pretty serious. How many of you want all your stuff confiscated, taken away? Any of you? None of you? Yeah, your house, your toys, your stuff. Three days, you've got to be in Jerusalem. So do you think people came? Ah, yes, they did. They gathered together there in Jerusalem. And here I found a picture of this event, describing this event. But If you know the story, if you read ahead, what's wrong with this picture? Oh, somebody knows. What's wrong with it? You see her? She's the one that knows. You see, not only did you have to come in three days, but this is in the middle of a huge and a great, it says, rain. So, where is your umbrellas. Now, they didn't have these fancy dancy umbrellas back then. Nope. So just imagine that picture of that crowd up there of all those people. And we're talking about thousands of people, and it tells us that there is a great rain. And apparently, it's implied that this rain has been going on for some time. Now again, remember, three days ago, you were told to come to Jerusalem, and if you didn't, You were going to be forfeited how many of you guys like to drive in the rain you know we don't even like to drive in our nice air-conditioned or heated cars which are for the most part waterproof now imagine you had to walk a hundred miles in the great rain does that sound like fun well when you get to jerusalem You're all gathered together in the streets and in the courtyards of the city. And no matter how much you might have a big umbrella to sit sit under or to stand under, it's just muck. It's just mud. It's raining. So as much as I appreciate the artist doing his best here, he missed an important factor. I mean, just imagine everybody in a rainstorm. And it says it was a great rain. Well, that doesn't matter. All of the people. Here it tells us in chapter 10, verse 9. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered themselves together unto Jerusalem within three days. It was a ninth month on the twentieth day of the month, and all the people sat in the street of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and for the great rain. Now, what time of year was it here? The ninth month. Now, a little hint, it doesn't match up to our calendar. It doesn't match up to our calendar. So here we have the ninth month. Their first month was equal to our March, April. So that means you need to add four to nine. Well, can you do that? What's going on here is we're right in the middle of December. We're right in the middle of December. So it's about this time of year. So let's all go outside and we'll just have this lesson out there. Come on, it's raining. Now, I know Jerusalem's a little bit of a different climate than it is here, but nonetheless, how many of you in December would like to be gathered together in the, I mean, this is not the May showers where you get that little warm sprinkle on you or like June showers. This is December rain. December rain. And they're all gathered together. You see, you might think, what a bunch of crazies. Well, what's really significant for us to think about is how serious this problem was how serious this problem was. You see, they were trembling because of this matter and for the great rain. There had been abominations in the land. And so then Ezra the priest, he stood up. Remember, it's not the bright sunny day. It's the cold December rainy day when he stands up and he says unto them, ye have transgressed. What's that word mean? That means you have disobeyed God's law. You have broken God's law. You have transgressed and have taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. You've sinned, and then you've married those who are committing these abominations, increasing it even more. Now, therefore, make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers and do his pleasure. Now, I told you that we can't take Ezra chapter 10 and turn it into a precedent case, meaning it's not something we you straight up follow. But if you look at verse 11, the first part of this is definitely a precedent case. We all, when we've done wrong, need to make confession. That is, agree with God about something. Agree with God about our sin. Make confession to the Lord God of our fathers and do his pleasure. Do what he wants us to do. In this case here, Ezra is submitting to the people that they separate themselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. Those who were unbelievers, who were leading them in committing these abominations. Then all the congregation, remember again, it's not the bright, sunny June day. It's the dark, cold, rainy December day. They said with a loud voice, as thou hast said, we must do. They agreed to do as Ezra proposed to them. But remember, the man who had originally proposed this to Ezra said that this should be done according to the law. That's significant. That's actually really significant because the law of Moses actually did allow for divorce. Jesus said it was an allowance for the hardness of their hearts. It did allow for divorce. And it was particularly done, it had to be done with a writing of divorcement. That means that it was official. See, in our day and age, marriage is getting more and more, well, just nothingness. Losing its meaning, losing its significance. People don't even get married. They don't even see and understand the significance of it. Marriage has always been significant and important from the very beginning when God created it with Adam and Eve. Then in the days of Moses, though it's not his ideal, divorce is not his ideal, He did suffer. He did allow it for the hardness of men's hearts. But he also, the reason why there was law and order established to it is to protect people, actually. There there had to be a, a dealing of things. Marriage is an intertwining of lives. And there has to be some things that are very clear in it and how it's dealt with. And that's why here the suggestion comes with according to the law. So in spite of this day when all those people... On this cold, rainy December day, it wasn't a good time to be um, moving forward and doing all of this official work. It was going to take a little bit of time. And so that's what was proposed here in verse 13. But the people are many, and it is a time of much rain, and we are not able to stand without. Neither is this the work of one day or two, for we are many that have transgressed in this thing. Let now our rulers of all the congregations stand. Let all them which have taken strange wives in our cities come at appointed times, and with them the elders of every city and the judges thereof, until the fierce wrath of our God for this matter be turned from us. So they made a plan. We're going to do this. We acknowledge that it's wrong. We're going to take care of this, but we're going to do it in an appropriate, orderly, decent way according to the law. It's not just going to be something where it's going to be done under the table. You know what's implied here? There was a responsibility of caring for some of these children, even potentially caring for the wives. How do I know that? Because other scriptures speak to the facts of caring for those who are yours. One of the reasons why people have kind of criticized God's way of doing things in the Bible, and they've kind of taken and said, oh, well, that's that's a terrible thing, Oftentimes, some of these laws like this were actually given to protect people because in other cases, it was just a, they didn't care. They wouldn't take responsibility. And so so as I'm reading between the lines here, I think what's going on here is that there's a need, this be done proper and right, and there's proper care taken. And then it goes on, and the rest of this chapter and the rest of this deals with the the prominent leaders identifying them by name who had been involved in this sin and and a record of the account of all of it. And that's how the book of Ezra ends. It's kind of like, huh? I mean, you kind of started off really, really like Ezra, excited. And and then and then, huh? This is where it ends. I gotta let you in on a little secret the story doesn't really end at the end of Ezra. Many Bible scholars believe that Ezra is the man who wrote Ezra. They also believe he's the one who compiled 1st and 2nd Chronicles. So Ezra is considered a historian. And they also believe that he's the one who compiled Nehemiah's journal and record. So although the book of Nehemiah is about Nehemiah and many of it is written in the first person, meaning the first person, is if Nehemiah wrote it. Many believe that it was actually Ezra who took his records, his journals, so to speak, and compiled them together into the book and the record we have. And you know what? Ezra appears in Nehemiah. But we're going to have to wait a little while before we see some of the really exciting parts of Nehemiah. Because when, or of Ezra. Because if you look here at the end of Ezra, it's just, I mean... How many of you agree with me it's kind of just a letdown? Yeah, it's just kind of, I mean, the book started off just really psyched up with Zerubbabel and Joshua coming back to build the temple. They rebuilt the temple. Then Ezra's going to come back. He's going to beautify the temple. He's going to teach the people the law, and bang, he gets this problem right off with really big problems in the people. Oh, and that's how the book ends. With with people doing what's doing what following God, but it just kind of just ends there. Is, Is there anything more? Well, hold on. We got a few chapters to go. But when you go into Nehemiah and you begin to go through through Nehemiah, there's history that the book starts off in. But then it comes to a glorious day when the people make a covenant or renew their covenant with God, and it's really spectacular. So we have to move right on in to the book of Nehemiah. But where are we at on all of this here in our timeline? You see up here, the green is from the, the history here, really, of Ezra and Nehemiah. And the text that's in white there in the middle is of Esther, the time period of Esther. So we see there in 520 B.C. that the temple work was resumed and the temple finished in 516 B.C going back to 536 B.C. when the decree was issued to rebuild the temple. Remember, we had the three returns, one to rebuild the temple, 536 B.C., then the decree in Ezra's day in 558 to beautify the temple, and now we're going to come to 445 B.C. So you see how many years are there between when Ezra came back and we turn the page to the book of Nehemiah. There are 13 years. Now, if you're like me, you think that 13 years is a long time. Right, Nathan? You're probably about 13, right? 14. That's like your whole life. So that seems like a long time. So let's put that into perspective. You all know Nathan here. He's 14. That means that when Ezra showed up, he was just a baby. And now when we turn the page to Nehemiah chapter 1, 14, 13 years have gone by. 13 years have gone by. You would think there'd be a lot of progress, right, in 13 years? How many of you had progress in the last 13 years? Gotten things done? Gotten some things fixed up around your house? Or maybe you're like me and, um, you know, we, we have a marker in our house. you can you stand up? When we moved into our current house, it was the week she was born. And here's what's funny. When we first bought the house, we went through the house and made a list of all the things that needed to be done and all the things that needed to be fixed. You know what? Some of those are done. <laughs> but there's some other things that really did stand out when she was born. That was, what, 11 years ago? And you know what? They're still not done. And you know what? I don't even notice them anymore. <sighs> like when we moved in, in the master bedroom, it, it has, somebody had gone through and poked all kinds of holes in the ceiling. And you know, we moved in, again, the week she was born. So there was a lot of stuff that just couldn't be done right away. It was just survival mode for a while. Well, you know what? All those holes are still poked all over the ceiling. But nobody ever knows it because nobody ever goes in there. But sometimes I do lay in my bed in the morning and I look up at that ceiling and I go, I need to do that sometime. <laughs> I need to fix those holes. But you know what? Time goes by and some things don't get done. You know what? In my house, it's just because, you know, look, you know, look, It's busy. And there's other holes that are getting made that actually do need to be fixed. So, you know, it's a lower priority. But you know what's been going on your whole life? Is actually a lot of trouble in Jerusalem. Because they came back and they rebuilt the temple. And you know, there's not even a record of them actually beautifying the temple. They just brought the gold to do it. And you know another problem? Now, none of us really get this, especially here in Indiana, but the wall of the city has been broken down, and it's never been repaired. Now, again, we're all from rural Indiana. Okay, South Bend. How many walls do we have in South Bend? Not very many. Other parts of the country, by the way, they do have walls. When I was in South Africa, it wasn't a house unless it had a wall. I mean. this is what blew my mind, is that some places you would go in South Africa and they would have a little little house. They called them shanties. And they had this little house and it was made out of just whatever randomness stuff that was propped up and kind of propped up. But what was amazing is sometimes these little tiny shanties would actually have a brick wall built around them. And I'd scratch my head and go, why didn't you use the bricks to build your house? But that wall was more important because it was a security for them. In some of these places, they would actually save up their bricks, and they would start, not always, but oftentimes, building a wall first before they'd start building anything else in their house. When the city of Jerusalem, the entire city, we can't even fathom that idea. I mean, build a wall? I mean, that's like the last thing you do is put up the fence in the backyard around here. But no, it's a pretty important thing for there to be a wall. Why? Because, well, especially as we keep reading in Nehemiah, there are a lot of people who don't want a wall in Jerusalem because they want to cause a lot of trouble in Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah is an interesting character, and we're going to look at him as as a person um, next time a little bit more. But just for today, he's a man who perhaps has visited Jerusalem. It's possible, some have speculated, that there, when the decree to beautify the temple came and, and Ezra went back, that Nehemiah may have come with him. Some people, including Sir, um, Sir Isaac Newton, actually believe that he was alive way back in the days of when um, the decree went forth to rebuild the temple in the days of Zechariah. It's possible, actually, but we don't know for sure. He would have been a very old man at this time if that's true. Some believe it's possible, and, and it could be possible. But here we have this man named Nehemiah, and he's living in Shushan the palace. Hmm, anybody know where that is? Does that sound familiar? Again, look at our timeline. See, we've got Babylon, and a lot of us think of this Babylon as the great city, but there's a whole other city called Shushan. Shushan was the winter palace of the royalty of the media persian Empire. And Nehemiah is there. And he actually is a very trusted man in the kingdom. But one day here, 13 years after Ezra went back to Jerusalem, a message comes to Nehemiah. Huh. He's in Shushan the palace, and there's a man whose name is Hanani, one of my brethren, he writes came he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that it is escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Now I see all of you. Most of you guys could care less. Well, people, I I I don't care either. I mean, I don't have any tie to Jerusalem. I have no care. But Nehemiah did. This really troubled Nehemiah. Can you imagine, just with me for a few moments, that you're Nehemiah? You love Jerusalem. You've imagined that over these last many years that progress is being made in rebuilding that city. You ask how the people are doing. You imagine that you know Ezra's there; they've they're doing okay. They're not. You see the the news report here. they, they the people in that province, huh? They're in great affliction. And reproach. That means people are causing trouble for them. And also the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. How many of you ever read the news and been like, yeah, that's not good news? Yeah, all of us who read news feel that way. What do you do when you read that news? What do you do when you read bad news? You know, sometimes we get such bad news, we become callous. What do you do when you hear bad news? Did you hear what she said? Can you say that louder for everyone? She said, pray. You know what? What do you think Nehemiah did when he heard bad news? He prayed. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. This is convicting to me. How do you get your news? You just keep scrolling, don't you? I'm convicted too because, you know, I've kind of sort of given up on news these days. I follow local news. And then I wait for somebody else to tell me the big stuff from the national and international. Perhaps I ignore it too much. But really, what is our perspective? You know how news is nowadays? It's got this shock factor, sensationalism. Even with all of its sensationalism and shock factor, does it cause us to sit down, to weep and mourn, to fast, and to pray? When was the last time you read about some political policy or political person that made your blood boil? Did you pray about it? Sometimes we get all caught up in stuff and we don't even do what we actually can do about it. (laughs) Let's pray about it. That's the greatest thing we can do about a lot of things. That's one reason why I'm convicted, is because one of the reasons I stopped reading a lot of news is because I looked at it and said, There's nothing I can do about this. Why do I let it trouble me? And I'm confessing to you that that's not a good attitude either, because there is something I can do about it. I don't care where it is at in the world, there's something I can do about it. I can pray. I can pray before the God of heaven. You know what we're going to find out about Nehemiah? Is that Nehemiah was a man who believed in prayer. Actually, to be perfectly blunt, it's perhaps the theme of the life of Nehemiah. Sometimes people talk about Nehemiah and they refer to Nehemiah as a book of a textbook on leadership. And it actually is brilliant. Nehemiah was a brilliant leader. And so, if it is a textbook on leadership, you know what the first thing a leader needs to be doing? Praying. Praying before the God of heaven. Now, I'm not going to tell you yet, but you can read for yourself you just keep reading right into chapter two this week and notice and imagine with me where Nehemiah is and what he's doing and you're gonna find a prayer in Nehemiah chapter two and I want you to imagine where and how he's praying. We're gonna talk about it next time but I'd like for you to look for it. You to look for it and to catch his prayer in chapter two. It's really interesting but here he gets this news here in the month Chishlu. Well, this is the this is the la- last month of the year. This is early spring. And he gets this news, and he is in a trusted position in this kingdom. If you look at the last verse of chapter one, he declares who he is. What's it say he is in the last verse of Nehemiah chapter one? What's Nehemiah? He's a cupbearer. He says, for I was the king's cupbearer. That's a privileged place. That's a trusted spot. But you see what Nehemiah does before anything else? What's he do, Tirzah? Yes, he prays. Yeah, at high house, Tirza, she's asked to pray almost every day. And it's actually really, really enjoyable to hear her pray. Because she's totally unfiltered, like some of us. You know, we keep our prayers, especially when we, others are listening, and we soften them, we tone them down. Here's a she does a good job. She just says it the way it is, and tells God what she's thinking. We had a really fun time this week where she prayed, Please, God, don't let mommy abandon us. Now, some of you laugh. It's something that is funny because we were just reviewed the events of the day. And mommy was going to go somewhere and leave all of the kids home with daddy. And so then three minutes later, we're praying and she prays, please don't let mommy abandon us. Really what she was praying is, please let me go with mommy. Well, mommy wasn't going to abandon her, but she's very straight way it is. That's good, isn't it? Yes. For us to talk to God. Nehemiah, look what he does. He hears this news. It's troubling. It's bothering to him. He sits down. He's weeping. He's mourning. And it's not just one day. It's certain days. It's more than one day. He's fasting. He's not eating anything. It's troubled him that much. And he says, listen to this prayer. I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God, Terrible here means absolutely inspiring and amazing, so amazing and so great that if I didn't know God loved me, I would be terrified. The one that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thy eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my Father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest to thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of the heaven... Yet will I gather them from thence, and I will bring them unto the place that I have given to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day, And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Oh, what is all of this prayer? What's he asking for? Did you hear how long his prayer was and how much he prayed before he actually made a request? What's his request? Grant me, the servant, mercy in the sight of this man. Who's the this man? The king. The emperor. He's asking that this man give him mercy. Well, here is all of this. He's asking for God to give him mercy in the sight of this man but look at all the other things he prayed do you see how he different themes of his prayer you notice he began his prayer by calling out to god for who he is he's the great god he's the god of heaven he's the one that keeps covenant and mercy he knows that god answers prayer and he then reminds god of his very promises his very covenant you said, God, that if we turn from you, you'll scatter us. You've done that. But now will you remember your same promise that you said if they turn to you, you will gather them back to the land in peace? Will you remember that promise too? All of this prayer is a confession as it is uh, an acknowledgement of who God is and who he is and who his, what his sins are and what God has already promised. And then at the very end, he makes his request. Let me find mercy in the eyes of the king. You know what? He didn't hear the news, pray and fast a few days, and then go to the king. Time passes. And it was for some period of time that he continued praying before he ever spoke a word. To the king. But he knows that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and that's why he's praying to God. Remember earlier I said that there's some things we can learn from Ezra and Nehemiah? Do you see here that word confession? You see, Ezra in chapter 10 was confessing both his personal sin and the sin of the people. Then he calls for the people to make confession in chapter 10, verse 11. For the people to confess to God. And then now, four, 13 years later, approximately, Nehemiah comes and he begins to pray. And what does he do in verse 6? He, he confesses the sins of the children of Israel. And he also confesses his own sin. So important for us to see ourselves as God sees us and to agree with God about what God has said, the things we do. He sees this as he's moving forward to do and to lead the people in a big way. So, what are things we need to confess to our God? Perhaps to each other. You and the Spirit of God can answer that question. And then, what are some things we need to pray about? What are things that trouble us? What are things that should move us to tears that we hear? What are things we need to be earnestly praying about? Think of the politics of the world. Are we about to gear up in politics? Every four years we do it, don't we? Boy, do things change and cycle. Oh, it's so funny to see certain things change. It happens every four years. The same stories, the same sensationalisms. What are we doing about it? Sometimes people just complain about it. But what are we doing? What does God want us to do? I'm going to give you the first thing we need to be doing. If something's troubling you about politics, about the world. Bring it to the God of heaven. Bring it to the God of heaven. Pray about it. Pray about it. He's still in control, and we can trust Him. Sometimes problems come hmm, because of our own sin, so we need to confess our own sin in those prayers receive God's forgiveness, knowing that he's faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, it's perfectly appropriate for us as we see Moses did it, Ezra did it, Nehemiah did it, so many, Isaiah did it, is to also confess the sins of our people. To confess the sins of our people. And if you go and you study and you think about even how Nehemiah here, Nehemiah was a man who was not caught up in all this evil. Ezra was not caught up in all of this evil. But do you notice the spirit of their prayers? The spirit of their prayers are not self-righteous, look down their nose at everybody else. You ever notice that? Their prayers and their confessions when they see the sin of those around them is almost like they themselves are guilty. You notice that? I think that should make a difference in how we pray for the sins of our nation and of our community. Oh, God, when we read in the newspaper of a murder that took place this week or of a gain activity, do, do we cry, Oh, God, forgive us our land. Forgive us for this sin we sometimes sit in self-righteous judgment and say, I thank you that I'm not like those people. You know, we hear about a guy who prayed like that, don't we? Yeah. That's not how God wants us to be praying. It's so important for us to be humble, to see ourselves, to see our people as God sees us to confess. Confess with humility. And then as we begin to ask God for things, oh, how he will help us. Nehemiah is about to engage in a major political drama. And how does he begin it? With prayer. With confession. Not only for himself, but for those of his people. And then he's about to engage. When you look at the leadership skills and abilities of Nehemiah in this book, and you're blown away by his brilliance, Remember and notice how often he is praying. You see, at the end of this chapter, this man has already, for various reasons, been put into a position of trust in the kingdom. He's the king's cupbearer. He's the guy who tests every piece of food before the king eats it to make sure it's not poisonous. What is he going to do in engaging this political dilemma? the first thing he's doing is praying. He's praying. So let's be praying Christians in all that we do. Heavenly Father, we pray to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Ezra. We thank you for Nehemiah. We thank you for their examples. We thank you that your good hand is upon us too as we trust and obey you. Help us to trust and obey. Help us to see things as you see it. And Lord, I, I know that as we bring to you every day and every moment our worries, our fears, our struggles, our trials, that you will help us to see things as you see them. Help us to see our sin as you see it, the sin of our nation. Help us to humble ourselves under your mighty hand, to confess, to forsake, to receive forgiveness, to receive the strength and power to obey. May we never be guilty of self-righteousness, but help us, help us to walk humbly with you. Help us to know you more. Thank you that we can know you. Thank you that we can love you. Be with us in this day and all that we do. We commit ourselves to you. May we be drawn closer to you, I pray. Amen.